keep going. That if you yeah. get two or three people who are there for the right reason, that they're, agreement, they're in agreement on, something extra comes in. Something extra happens. That extra, you call it what you want. Depending on your worldview, you can call it whatever you want. But that extra is something that is, it is the one value we value the most. And it requires this, as we said in the risk episode, it does require this level of suffering to, to, to be in it. Right. But to do it with others appropriately, with discretion in the way that's necessary, creates a space that can't be accomplished um, anywhere else. It's just very I special. Mean. What you heard there is a little snippet from last week's episode of the Keep Going podcast. Episode number 46, The Grind, where Michael and I discuss the varieties of training experience and how our efforts or the grind relate to them. As we get near the end of that episode, we start talking about how important a running community or others to run with can be in terms of next leveling our experience of running. It's really interesting because that segues so perfectly into this episode where Michael and I interview Ryan Yambra from the Rose City Track Club in Portland, Oregon. In this episode, we talk about how important running communities are to developing meaning, to making our training experiences more vibrant and alive, to minimizing the loneliness crisis that we have in America and around the world since the COVID epidemic. Also, we discuss many other things, but a thread that runs through the entirety of this episode is an idea of the religion that's not a religion. This comes from the work of John Verveke, who I mentioned, cognitive scientist. And I think that one of the things we've been scratching here, Michael and I, over time, is the idea that there's something deeper going on. And Ryan is in complete agreement with us. And in this episode, we get pretty deep in the weeds on this topic, and I think it's uh, really interesting listening. So hopefully you enjoy it. We certainly had a grand time making the episode. So without further ado, I bring you the episode we call Our Chosen Family, Ryan Yambra on Running Community. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. I like to do a song as well, Ryan, to start <laughs> us off. So if we could all join hands. <laughs> I, I, I'm ready for it, Michael. Well, we're going to talk about running communities today anyway, so maybe there's a little church going on, right? So we can kumbaya the shit. <laughs> some church and some dance. Yes. <laughs> well, listeners, we have a special guest with us today. I think this may be um, the first time that we've done this um, recording uh, virtually with with Michael and I and having someone pipe in from another location. In this case, Ryan's piping in from Port, beautiful Portland, Oregon. How is Portland, Oregon? And this morning, I imagine it's still dark. But uh, how, how are you? Can you see? Can you see Fort Hood? Is it? Is it? I mean, Mount Mount Hood. Is it visible at this point, or is it just? Are you guys just socked in? <laughs> You know, we're socked in. We're emerging from uh, a, quite a uh, deep freeze. Uh, we had, uh, uh, you know, Portland was an ice rink for uh, 
a a couple weeks uh, earlier this month. And the first run back on solid pavement was magical. Yeah, I bet. Uh, So just getting back into the swing of things here. Cool. And that's not typical for you guys. You guys do get winter weather, but you don't get winter weather that sticks like that typically, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was uh, absolute uh, ice rink, like freezing rain. Um, You you know, you can work with snow, but once you get that freezing rain, it's a whole different ballgame. And you don't have um, skilled drivers in, you know what I mean? Like we, oh no, like we don't either. It's a big problem. It's like when people come down here, they're like, why do you freak out because of all the ice and everything else? It's because none of us are ready for it. And we're not, and the city's not ready for it. It's just like, it it throws us in. And everybody makes fun of you for not being ready for it, but it's not like we have a bunch of people going around dumping salt all over the road. So it's not as safe when we freeze over. Oh yeah. We take pride on the fact that we don't treat the roads. We, that's just we, we just we just lean into it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you have to because you know your vehicles. If they salted the roads with all the wet weather you have, you would end up having rusted everything rusted all the time. So it, it does make sense. Well, I guess we should probably introduce you a little more formally. Um, Ryan, um, first of all, is a long-term listener of the podcast, so thank you for that. We know you have you have interfaced with us a few times via via email, and we have mentioned Ryan a number of times on the podcast, I think two or three times. Ryan is uh, has been the social media coordinator for a very cool track club in Portland, Oregon called Rose City Track Club. And he recently, if I believe this is true, it, just starting in January, became the president of the track club, and which may may change your roles in certain ways, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get the chance to talk about that. But what he did is he sent us an email sort of just like a drop from the sky like this like like almost like god pointing a finger at us and saying we must talk about running communities like running communities will change the world and uh and michael and i are truly deep believers in that but that's not something we that's not a bear we've wrestled with very much so as soon as i saw it and felt your positive energy man you were as Michael and I talk about sometimes, um, I am evangelical. I grew up in a Christian evangelical background, and I am I, it, I don't believe that particular point of view anymore, but I can't stop being evangelical. So now I'm evangelical about running and running as a movement practice and other things. So to hear your your conviction and your the, just the I just really looked I just wanted to get in conversation with you. It's been long overdue anyway, but now we you came in with something that was just really useful for us to discuss. So mm-hmm. thank you for your email. And uh, I didn't even give Michael a chance to like decide whether he wanted to engage. I just knew that since he has his own run club, I have I have participated in at many different running community levels at different kinds of things that I just thought, oh my God, this is, this is something keep going. Has well, it yet? Steve goes hard in the paint on <laughs> like email. You could hear the conviction when Steve types, Ryan. And so he'll type, he'll type like a message. And I'm like, at first I was like, like Steve wrote this. And then I look up and it's your name on the email. And I was, it blew my mind. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is great. This is going to be, you're right, Steve. It was kind of like, it, it it it's it's right in the vein of like uh us trying to over time define what uh stealing the culture back entails 
um, our, our excavation and, and what exactly that looks like. What does that feel like? What is it, what is it personally and what is it for the community? And we, we talk a lot about that. We drop things every once in a while, but sometimes in a vacuum, it's kind of gets nested within other topics, as you can imagine. So it's like, all right, this perfect time to spotlight that. So that original email kind of, I knew you were going to come back with it, Steve, with uh, some supreme gusto. <laughs> Well, I've, I've, I'm just going to interrupt and say that we should probably prep uh, the listeners because things will probably get a little woo-woo uh, <laughs> you know, throughout this uh, discussion. <laughs> it always does. Yes. Don't worry, Michael will bring us back down. He, his, yeah. his, 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 higher power, of- his higher power is grounded, very grounded. My higher power is, woo, I'm not sure where yours is, Ryan, <laughs> but mine's all over everywhere. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, well, what I thought we would do is just to give our listeners a little background, and I know this is kind of the cheesy podcast thing to do, but I just feel like so much, I listened to another podcast that you did recently, um, just Googled your name after, well, I put it into my podcast app just to see if you'd had any podcast conversations, and you just recently had around this basic topic. So um, I got a little bit of your backstory, but I do think your backstory is unique and interesting and something that can be really helpful for people to sort of contextualize where this conversation is coming from. Um, I do think so many people, when you start hearing these various running people who are aficionados of the sport who are now deeply ingrained in it, they're all coming from very different places. Like I started running when I was six. So that's a very different, not better, but just a very different kind of context than Michael, who you've heard the story. He just decided he needed to do something on his sobriety journey. And other things were falling apart as things were coming forward as I rem- as I as I'm telling Michael's story and mm-hmm. and it was later in life he was a he was in his 20s and yours was a little even later than that in your life in general so give people an idea of sort of like your running journey I love to use that term because to me it feels appropriate um, and then we can then talk a little bit then we'll move into just Rose City and what Rose City Track Club is, how it operates, how it functions, what its thing is and then what I'm hoping we can do is then transition into um, your well, you can preach to us about 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 what we need about what we need as communities and why we need these communities. That, that would be really, and then we'll just we'll just start popping off, and we'll be a little a little jazz composition here. I love that. Uh, some free flowing um, composition would be great. Uh, I you know I think when I when I think back to my running journey, it is kind of an unlikely one. Uh, I started running. Uh, relatively late in life, I didn't pick up a pair of shoes. Uh, I didn't pick up a pair of running shoes uh, until uh, later in high school. I actually uh, started running uh, because I was pretty much a couch potato all of my life, and I realized I needed to, to get uh, get in shape. <laughs> so uh, I picked up the running shoes. I, I started with uh, just running uh, a block at a time. Uh, I was a hundred pounds overweight. I just knew that I had to get in shape and I, one thing led to another and, and one, one block turned into two blocks. And then next thing I know I'm, you know, stringing together, uh, five K's and, and, uh, you know, just falling in love with the, the, the movement itself, uh, craving that feeling, uh, uh that running provides. Uh, I slowly just became, it, it just became my new normal. Um, you, uh, you, you kind of realize that all of a sudden this is, uh, it, like, you know, that famous, uh, 
David Foster Wallace uh, uh, speech where he turns around and there's the two fish in the water and, and one of them turns around and, and says to the other, how's the water? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, all of a sudden uh, running kind of became that for me where it, it was just my normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I embraced running, everything else fell into place and uh, the, you know, my body uh, got right. Uh, but, but really along the way, my, my soul was, uh, catching fire, you know? Uh, and, and what really, uh, took it over the top was running in community, uh, running at a, at my first race, uh, that somebody tricked me into signing up for. Um, (laughs) and that moment you cross the finish line, it's pure, elation i want to do this again and that's when i just realized that i want to be on this journey for the rest of my life yeah that's so cool do you come from what's your worldview do you come from a religious background or a non-religious background or you know that that experience of having um churchy vibes at the end of a race um i don't know that everybody has that so do you do you come from a place where there was a lack there or a place where that was a recognition I did not come from a religious background, mm-hmm. um, but I think humans crave a higher power, whether it's uh, through organized religion or a movement practice or uh, any other uh, hobby or interest. You know, I, I, I think I, I'm fascinated by what is it that um, a lot that that causes us to. Uh, latch on to something and um, find a deeper meaning into it. Uh, So while I'm not religious personally, I can, I can see why people, um, you know, have a transcendent experience with this sport and uh, are able to uh, find the, the ritualistic element of it. I don't know if you, I I just recently watched a, a bit of a podcast with uh, Alex Anold, the great climber who who has a new movie coming out um, soon. And it was on a podcast I listened to called Theories of Everything, where this guy talks about, you know, lots of lots of physics stuff, but he also goes into spiritual things. And he starts grilling Alex a little bit over what what his experiences are and has he had transcendent experiences. And of course, this particular podcast likes to go down the psychedelic trip pathway occasionally and Alex is like no I don't have any experience with that either Um, but I was just surprised for someone who has spent so much time outdoors and outside that he said I haven't really had any really strong transcendent experiences even and he said I've read John Muir and John Muir and his experience in you know the high Sierras is where much of what we might call a secular spirituality in America comes from is this experience of being in nature and seeing I mean, immense beauty. If you've been in Yosemite Valley, you just cannot not know it. And here Alex just spent, you know, did one of the most physically and mentally crazy things that has ever been done by a human being of going up El Cap with no ropes. And he's not 
there's not a transcendent bone in his body. And it's just to me, it's just so interesting to me because I think it's like, oh, it's universal and it's not. Like, but for you to have that, exp one thing I do think is really unique is running has this altered state of consciousness thing that goes about, right? Like this, these endocannabinoids, whatever's going on there, whatever's happening after 30 minutes or so. And then, you know, I, again, I grew up in a Christian background. So there's this Jesus, this Christian quote that says that Jesus says something to the effect of is, if any more than one of you are gathered in my name, I am there. And my view is like, that's what's happening when we talk about running communities. Like you've got this experience of running, which sort of alters our state, um, like a cup of coffee does. You know, it's kind of like a cup of coffee, right? Like you don't even recognize it. You don't even know it. But yet, you know, I'm talking like really, really fast. If I didn't have my cup of coffee this morning, I'd be like slow, moving slow. <laughs> well, it, it's become a cliche, you know, the church of the Sunday long run. Uh, and I, I always tell people, um, you know, if you think that this is just, you know, you putting one foot in front of the other, you're you're you don't have any awareness of what the deeper meaning is um and, and something is pushing you to do this um some you know what what i so i i con I, I constantly want people to explore what is it that is compelling you to get up and endure uh and and push through discomfort and 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 lean into this and then do it with others. I have a quick question, Ryan. Do you remember the, the do you remember the the first run you took uh and felt compelled to either go buy a pair of running shoes or lace up or like do you remember kind of do you remember asking yourself like the the original question before you went on your first like meaningful run? Does that make sense? So yeah. with mine it was I was like I I needed I needed something. I just needed to move. Like I needed to get out. Do you remember that first time where you were just like, you know what? I'm gonna try this new thing, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna try it without any uh, preconceived notions of what it what it is. Uh, do you remember that moment at all? I think I had an image of what running was supposed to look like, <laughs> and I. Uh, I, similar to you, I, I had a feeling of, I just need to move. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was kind of doing my own little couch to 5k, just run walking it. And, mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't really know at the time that that was a strategy, uh, to, to, to build up, but it's, it's just kind of like looking, learning to take your first steps as a child, you know, I, mm -hmm. running was kind of like that for me where I, I'm going to run uh, as much as I can until I, you know, have to take a break. And then I'm just going to try to build it up over time. And hopefully, uh, I'll, I'll be able to string together some miles. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I can remember. It's funny how, how far apart they are in years. I remember one when I was in high school and we just had this mile stretch and I remember one run going for it. I remember that run. I remember the run I did at 10 p.m. Like they were at that when I was 26, like maybe 15 years later. And, and it was like the one that I did when I was 26, 15 years later, that was the one that started me on this particular path that's been prolonged. It's interesting how there's like a few of them that kind of jog around my mind that are like those were the ones that I really kind of grabbed that feeling, that emotion. Mm. And then I just then I just extended it. I just kept going. So, um, 
I always like to know if people have those those experiences kind of like in their back pocket because to me there's about two of them one was that one when I was in high school and one when I was 26 so thanks for answering that one well I I, I uh, think a lot about um, you know the those few runs that uh, where, where everything is vivid uh, in your imagination you can smell the environment mm-hmm. you were in you can just paint a picture in your head of where you were and and for me that place is at uh in in the high desert in smith rock uh outside of bend uh and you know it's the smell of the sage and the and the juniper and and you know the ponderosa pines and um the thin air Mm -hmm. uh you know that's that's where i had my first uh transcendent running experience and that's awesome yeah, it's just, uh, it, it, you know, th- those trail runs can really do it for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's something special. and But yet you've been able to draw that back to the mean streets of Portland, Oregon, too, right? Like, because Portland is so different, so close, but yet so different. I lived in Eugene for a number of years, so I have, I've, I'm deeply acquainted with the weather and how different the entire experience in Bend is. Um, and then, of course, having a long experience experience with trail running i know there's a difference in being trails but there's a there's a universality of this experience regardless of the physical location you're in and then the depth of experience that's allowed by um certain roads or you know in your case forest park it's like so cool and so amazing to have this like but it's hard to run in that place man it's like there's no like flat there's not a single flat like there's maybe that little towpath there's a little towpath part but other than that it's like up and down so bringing that forward that energy like how does your experience of like the differential do do you consider them now universe that kind of thing universal or are you still steeping in the uniqueness of each event each location and maybe other various locations that you've been able to go to in travels and things like that well, I think that when you're running, you're uh, you're igniting a pathway that exists and you're, it, that is, has been with us uh, since uh, the dawn of time. Um, something opens up, and I, I it's kind of an ancient uh, ritual uh, mm-hmm. that we all practice, and I I, I think that humans are um, are social animals. And we share this together. So when when I start running, I'm always uh, thinking back uh, and and realizing what I'm experiencing now. This is uh, this is an ancient uh, r- ritual that um, the, and and then when when I run in community, I feel that shared experience together. Where you know when you when you run together and you're side by side, you're not even making eye contact, but you open up with each other. Mm-hmm. And um, so so that that universality uh, that, that I, I I feel that I felt it uh, you know uh, on my own, and I've felt it with others. I don't know. How about you guys? Oh, uh, you know my situation is so unique because. I started running kind of in community, but very quickly got into compet- being competitive and spent significant. I mean, I was running. I gave somebody had told told a story this to somebody recently. I was eight years old, running through my neighborhood at Christmas time all by myself to get a four mile run in. It's not a typical experience. So I, much of my early running experience was solo, and and deeply 
meaningful, but also challenging from that perspective. It took me getting to college before I first started. And even my teammates in high school, I was just way too fast. And I did different workouts than they did because the coach didn't like what I was doing. And I was already too fast for him to tell anything to. So I was like just doing my, my dad was writing my program basically. Um, and so I, you know, I just have this different experience. But when I got to college, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, it's bro time. Like there's definitely bro time things going on with that, with the whole collegiate competitive experience that was very different and unique for me that then sort of flavored that. It wasn't until I got done with my running career competitively before I was really truly steeping in that church of the Sunday long run kind of vibe. For me, it was always a little more of a grind and a little bit more of um, sort of a sort of a, a, a working out my salvation one-to-one -one with God in a sense rather than some sort of community vibe thing. But now the community vibe thing is a real and true thing. So my experience is... You know, I think highly different, but yet what you're describing to me is the highest state is the is the this is why I think training groups that we see across the country and around the world um, do so well. People do much better when they have a community of people to do their easy long runs with because they're tapping into this part that you're talking about, whether they're conscious of it or not. And it fuels and feeds this existential need, this deeply felt need that you've just described. Um, I agree with you. I think it's evolutionary. Uh, but um, I think that each of us kind of have a different pathway with it, and it makes it so beautiful and unique in how that plays out. But at the end of the day, what we're what I'm just going to double click on before I pass it over to Michael is that it doesn't matter how long it took me to get to that group experience. When I got there, I felt like I was home in a way that church, because I'd left a faith and organization, I, I, I felt like the first time I was back in church. Right. It was really cool that way. How about you, Michael? Yeah, my mine started very, very personal, very selfish uh, in a good way, healthy kind of kind of healthy pride with my running routine go out and run every day um it started as a utility tool for for very very um like kind of just bridging the gap between like what i was working on mentally and i needed something to bridge that gap physically so and that went on until so I had this little hot dog restaurant and then we started a run club and started meeting there and a lot of people showed up and at first I was like, wow, I was single, you know, I was like, maybe I could, you know, meet people, you know, all that stuff. And, and, and so it kind of, but what I realized over time was how important the community was and how that was kind of morphing into something that like, that was, that was bigger than me. And then I realized that my routine, um, wasn't the only thing that there was. In fact, it was a very small portion of what the bigger picture was. And when I, when I dipped into the bigger picture in a town that didn't have a huge running community, probably like maybe a hundred people running, you know, in the whole community. So when I tapped into their community, that's when the lights went on. It was just like, Oh my goodness. Like this is, this is a whole nother level. So I, um, yeah, it's, it, uh, Today, I still split my time between a very personal routine and a very community-oriented routine. That's why I started the Atreyu Run Club is because I know that, like, internally, my path is that I'm a deeply kind of, like, uh, I'm kind of an introvert. And, and finding my extroverted self comes out in the best form in the running community. And that's where, like, in, in your original email, when you're talking about loneliness and kind of 
making the best version of like kind of like the totality of ourself you know in the in society at large is like that's where i actually i i find that the work is there i have to you know, i don't want to show up to my run group being kind of like stressed or anything like that you got to bring your best self and like what you practice you become and i think that these communities are much bigger as it, than we even think not only what they can provide but what they can offer to to essentially um, provide a space to to let ourselves grow, our soul grow, you know, all the things that are involved in it. So for me, it's it's taken about 10 years to really thread that needle between the personal and the social. And I find them to be in synchronicity because like you said in your story in the beginning, it was like, well, you had that finish line experience, which is that that's a personal, it's a deeply personal experience based off of what you did, but you found it through tapping into the community. And in, in those two things, I, I don't think they, they, they necessarily live in a vacuum. I think that we as individuals can bring what we want to, to the community. So like, to me, it's, it's just a, it, it's a huge opportunity. I always have saw running as, as a simulation of a perfect world and a perfect world is not one person. It, you know, it's, it's a whole group of people working together and moving together and growing together, all that stuff. So I think, um, I think I kind of maybe sit in a little bit in the middle between like, I didn't have a performance background. I'm more like you, Ryan. I kind of have been learning from it as a, as kind of the, the running gods is what I call them. The wise sages of the running Lords. <laughs> There's so many different directions we could go from here. And Maybe I can tell you a little bit about what running community looks like in Portland. That'd be great. And then we can talk a little bit more about um, the original subject of the email, which was running communities as an antidote to America's loneliness crisis. Cool. Love it. Um, so, you know, in Portland, uh, we t I, I often say there's something for everyone. Um, you know, and, and there's anything that you want on the, on the running club spectrum, there's somewhere for you to plug in. So I see it as, uh, you know, a matter of structure. Uh, you can plug into, you know, a casual club that meets uh, once a week for drinks and uh, it has, uh, you know, a short uh, little run uh, around the neighborhood. And then on the other spectrum, you have performance training groups, uh, people who, uh, sync want to sync up uh and have uh, accountability and structure uh in their environment and in the middle uh you have um a whole variety of uh communities um you know casual uh uh running organizations that are centered around like uh shoe retailers kind of like what you have in austin uh or um you know uh track clubs that, uh, have, um, you know, once or twice, uh, a week, uh, you know, a, a workout on the track, but that's about it. Uh, Rose city track is on the, uh, far end of the spectrum where we really emphasize structure. Uh, we have a hundred members, uh, and, uh, most of our teammates, uh, are, are people who are trying to, uh, either qualify for, uh, Boston or the Olympic trials. 
uh, and then we also have uh, a number of folks who are just, you know, working to uh, run their first marathon. Uh, what makes Rose City Track unique is that uh, we have a an entire training week mapped up that most of our members all participate in, including weekly track strength sessions. Uh, we're coached by uh, Andrew Bumbleo former Bowerman uh, elite. Uh, and uh, he, you know, he's a 210 uh, marathoner who decided to uh, jump into coaching. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of, uh, it, it's more than just repping a singlet. It's uh, more so a structured community. And we, you know, survey our members every year, what matters the most to you. And these folks all want an outlet to plug into uh, and, uh, and, and be with each other while they train for their uh, command performance. They also want a social uh, component as well. And, and I think that that's what's really special is the, the fact that uh, these people are all seeking uh, fellowship. Yeah, it sounds like one of the things Michael and I are preaching all the time is this idea of running as a practice and that a pursuit is nested in a practice. And it sounds like whether conscious or unconscious, that is what you guys are doing. There's this idea of being a part of something special that includes running as a as the crucial component, but really perhaps humanity is the, 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 the more universal <laughs> constant. It's just humans who run and then humans who run but also want to get faster and are looking at improve me, improving, you know, in Austin, that's, um, it, it's so, it's so similar, but such a different directional path to how people got there. But what makes me happy is how universally, um, varied, how much diversity of experience people have with that, uh, I, I did used to believe that there was a ubiquity to command performance mental. I, you know, that's where my steal the culture thing is that I think that immediately when somebody starts running, somebody says to them, when are you going to run your first 5k and how fast did you run? And that to me, like, Oh, please don't go there. Right. Like, just don't go there. It's like somebody coming to church and saying, have you been baptized yet? It's like, Oh yeah, well, whoa, 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 whoa. we've got a whole bunch of other lists. Can we do the potluck first? <laughs> can we, can we like go to the river and do other things first before we have to go down into the water and get dipped and then, you know, carry came on for the lemonade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you know, Ryan, it is, it sounds like you have a very homogenized kind of ethos around the group. Do you find that there is, is there any rift that you can see between OTQ and my first marathon? Like is, are, are, are the, I mean, I don't know if that's, um, Austin seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but we have different groups and a lot of the groups are, are you'll find that people kind of operate within, um, you know, like paces, you know, a lot of the time. Um, so do y'all do a good job at kind of structuring the, the, the very paces and all kind of meeting together? Do y'all have any rituals or practices that bring people together in that regard, like tangibly? Oh yeah. I'm so glad you asked that. On Wednesdays, we have a uh, track. Uh, yesterday we had, uh, our weekly track session where we have people, uh, at, you know, a variety of different pace groups, 
Um, what's beautiful is how people sync up with people who share their pace. They share the work together and they're able to share the track together despite uh, having uh, wildly different uh, goals. Uh, you know, we, what's, what's really nice is that we're able to create a, a space and a place for people to gather and, and work together and then promote uh, people connecting with each other in their uh, various pace groups. And then our Friday run is when we slow down, we open it up to the public. And I think that that's kind of that, that ritual of now we all get to run together and run, uh, run easy because there's no uh, reason why we can't all share the easy miles together. Um, you know, we, we are all, uh, you know, realistically, we're not always going to run our long runs at the same pace or, but we can, we can create the environment where people show up together and do the work in the same general place. But then those, I, for me, what's really special are just those easy days when mm -hmm. we can just, you have to really give them the reverence that they are and, and focus or Steve, you know, will definitely talk about the intention of what those are and if the intention is to kind of lock in with the group and tap into that that higher power of the group and the community aspect of it I mean it's so it's so important you really have to lean into that or else it's those are the things that I find that that it's easy to lose sometimes if you don't really if you don't practice them you'll lose them. well it yeah you know I think that with with running um the the easy run is one of those things where I, I feel like it uh, there there's a whole uh, higher meaning behind the easy run uh, where we, you know whether you are uh, an elite marathoner or you're one of the uh, you're you're a first timer I, I think that uh, that you can still find a common pace I don't think you can run your easy runs too easy uh, which is why um, I, I think it's uh, an important time to catch up with the the folks uh you know that you you come that you share this community with and uh, you know my experience has been typically that those people who are just um who aren't there for competition anyway and they may not be on the faster end of the spectrum them doing their easy run at a pace that's a tempo run is actually hugely beneficial for them and win-wins happen all the way down up and down the line there you know how do you guys manage the 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 very real challenge of appropriate appropriateness um, in terms of think, how does Andy, how does your coach manage or think about these aspects? Does he leave it up to you all and you all sort of self self regulate this piece? Because I do think it's important to, yes, you can't go too slow, but you can definitely go too fast on an easy run day, right? And my group, we don't we don't collectively meet on those other days. We only meet on the days that we do specific work. And that allows that that difference sort of allows this huge amount of flexibility. But we miss what your club gets to take a great advantage of, which are these grab ass, really fun, chill, runs now they do them together but they're not done as a group so there's not that cohesiveness that michael's group is all about I'm, this i'm the right. opposite i'm <laughs> exactly. where, where steve's group leaves off mine is like hey guess what on monday wednesday and friday i know all of y'all are trying to figure out how to do your easy runs so 
here's a place where you can all come together, you know, for free and, you know, do, do this thing. Like anybody can come for an easy day. And so it, it's fun, Steve, like we, you kind of have the, the track days or the workout days and yeah, we are a little bit of the yin to the yangs in, in some aspect of that. But how Your do you, group, Steve also operates that you, you'll have, you know, people who break off and go and do their own thing, but yeah. I'm curious how Ryan's group does yeah, I that am too. in terms of it being a, a total picture. Well, you know, I think that one of the biggest uh, challenges when you have a group of 100 people uh, is you, realistically, you can't have everyone doing the same thing at the same time at the same intensity. Mm -hmm. So we, we recognize that uh, there's always going to be, um, you know, uh, areas where there's uh, difference. Uh, one, one thing our coach, uh, Andrew Bumbleau, does uh, for us that we've been working really hard on is... Um, you know, programming around a, a, f a few command performances in a given year. So we've got two peak races that we're trying to, uh, to reach for together. And he helps us uh, with the, the, uh, the periodization. Uh, so I, I, I think that while we all have different goals, um, I, the, the periodization uh, and, and the, the, the collective buy-in we're we're all going to approach this, you know, peak race together as, as much as we can is, uh, is a strength. And that helps us, uh, kind of, uh, you know, create, uh, that, uh, expectation that we're all going to be moving in the same general direction, uh, together. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, that what, what's really special is that and one of the surprising things that I've found in surveying my team, we do, you know, formal surveys that ask people what matters to you. And we constantly hear, we want opportunities to connect with each other where we're not actually running. And I think that that's kind of interesting too, where this is a group that spends, you know, uh, it three to four days a week, you know, actually running together. They're, they're all, they're already going to show up and do the work, but they want, the, the one thing that uh, that they all share is that they all want to hang out outside of the actual sport. And that's kind of special. And, it, and it, it tells me that we're creating something that's more than just a run club. Hmm. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like um, you've taken it to the next level, not just goal oriented, but really bringing people together. It's like you even said, mentioned like bowling you know, in, in your example and, 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 and why bowling can bring so many, you know, but there is that phenomenon that I think you mentioned that bowling teams have gone like sanctioned leagues maybe have gone down, but like maybe the amount of bowlers have gone up. It's a really interesting topic and why running is, it is such a uh, utility for um, tapping into that social connection and combating, you know, a social purpose and providing that opportunity. So I think it's really cool. Well, maybe we should talk about the problem statement. And <laughs> I call this the pain point. I'm always like, where's the pain point? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And and the pain point is we are more isolated than ever as a culture. You know, I, I think it's pretty telling uh, and that, uh, the U S surgeon general's office came out last year 
and uh, declared that loneliness was a public health epidemic. And when I saw that news, uh, I had a couple of reactions. One was, I'm not surprised. Mm. You know, we just emerged uh, through uh, the isolation that, uh, that COVID has uh, caused, uh, you know, globally. Uh, we're more atomized, I would say, uh, as a result of our digital culture. But there's real health outcomes, uh, you know, uh, premature death. Uh, increased risk of dementia for older adults and, and heart disease and stroke. Uh, so there are real health impacts to loneliness. Um, I had a, my, well, one reaction was of, you know, not being surprised. Another thought that I had was I actually don't really feel this loneliness. And, and, and part of that is because of this com running community that, uh, I've been fortunate enough to tap into, and it sounds like you guys have found as well. And I think what the problem is, is that we're not congregating uh, in voluntary associations nearly as much as we used to, especially in person. What would you say, Steve? I mean, there's no doubt about that. This is an area of deep interest to me because I've been, I've been on the John Verveke trail of the meaning crisis right there's this and and this is one aspect of his overall overarching um insight he's a cognitive scientist out of toronto he did a hundred episode series on awakening from the meaning crisis which basically just says hey we lost religion and religion did a whole lot of stuff for us and we need new religions we need a religion that's not a religion and what you're describing is a religion that's not a religion in a way right we've we've, we've held this as an undertone or a or sort of subtopic within this conversation so far but i think that the thing that is so much more that needs to be brought forward is that we are always in relationship. So, you know, and when I, when I think about um, doing a workout, I, I have got, I think I'm just doing a workout, but yet I am I'm reacting to the ground forces that are happening with the ground. I'm dealing with the weather conditions, whatever they may, hap may happen to be. I'm dealing with the hill and dale that I'm working across, the, the course I'm running across, whether it's trail or road, um, the challenges around navigating these issues. And these are all deep. We, we are very complex, not, not complicated. We do have some complicated aspects, but we're very complex, which means these things are interrelated in so many deep ways. And this other component of being with others, other, other people, is a way that I think because of our separation, and as you stated, COVID made this worse. Zoom makes this worse. These meetings, we're not even having the water cooler discussions around the latest, you know, like people did in the 80s or in the 90s talking about um, – you know, Seinfeld or whatever the case may be, the movies that they watched, these things are, and they're actually cut out of these Zoom kind of conversations we have is inappropriate because we're here to meet to discuss this particular issue. And this is just in the workplace to say nothing about what a book club might be or what a, um, or what a group of a men's group or a women's group or a church community might be. They're like, we're going to stay on task and we're going to get shit done, right? Well, staying on task and getting shit done makes us really fucking lonely, as you're saying. Like, we do not just do well with tasks. We need the mess, the chaos, the 
the, the, the coordinated effort of reading the signals between our eyes and feeling and sensing the pheromones that are going on. I mean, this is what I love about John Verveke is he's so he, he's talking about the absolute biological imperative, these important biological imperatives that we know like are happening. Like think about a Saturday long run or a Sunday long run, whichever day you do your long run. In Austin, it's in the middle of the summer. The sun came up early. You're already sweating to death. You're wearing no clothes and you're running with 10 or 15 other relatively attractive people who are not your life partner. And shit's getting weird, right? Like, and then the conversation is about God, poop, or, or maybe the movie you just watched, but eventually it's going to go back to God and poop almost every single time. Right? So it's like, it's like, oh my God, like these things that you're describing, what you're saying, this is why there's an epidemic. Not because people need people from the perspective of a societal so sociology. I do think there's a piece that, but it's more cognitive science, which is all up and down a stack, a, comp a complex stack of interrelationality that's essential for us to pay attention to. And when you run through a part of town, then you are also being a group that's running through that part of town. If you're running around the, the, the river, in your case, it's and you're running past homeless, you now got a third, you've got the river, which is a being, in my opinion, then you have every homeless person, which you have a lot in your town, right? All of them, you're reacting and interreacting. Um, I'd love to tell this example, one of my athletes that I work with, Chris Schmidt, he, when in the, right before the pandemic, he was so sick of these like scooter things that we have all over everywhere here, that he was taking <laughs> yeah. the scooters and throwing them into town lake and like totally destructive mode like anarchy right but for him it was like and then that was a part so now he's now we're relating to this other thing and it's like like just cognitively the 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 number of pops that are going on within our whole nervous system is so much higher when you are with another human being and especially more so when you're with a group of human beings and it's the weird shit that happens that's most meaningful in my opinion and when we're separated from that like you said I, 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 so one of the things that the Surgeon General stuff is not they're just tying it up into a neat little bow and what I'm glad we got here because this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about is like this shit gets really messy the, the community that most people know me from with Rogue got really messy because I made a mess. I shat where I ate, right? In a sense. And and it really had a rip a huge ripple effect within the Austin running community, but because of the value that many people felt about the Running Rogue podcast, that ripple went into that area which, you know, there was 20,000 plus unique listeners every single week to that episode to that podcast. Like that's that's a lot. I mean, that's a really big number for a niche group right this is high end runners who are training at a very high level and and not just your everyday runners so you know i know this at a deep level i know how important it is and i feel deep responsibility for that i'll always have a level of culpability but also my life has changed in ways that are so unique and in, I, mean, I can't say anything about it how do you guys manage mess like how does mess sit in this context for you guys or do you because I do think if I were thinking about starting a run club, this is what something I would want to make sure that I had some sort of protocol and or principle around. Maybe not a set of rules because those are really messy and dangerous, but I'll let you, I'll just stop. You're the president. I'll let you say how, how your crew does it. <laughs> wow. Well, 
first, I just have to say that that was beautiful. And I, it's hard <laughs> to follow that up. <laughs> wow. I, I think what, what it boils down to here is that this is an activity that we're choosing. Mm. This is a voluntary tribe and people choose to show up every single day. We've had some people leave the tribe here and there, but not as often as you would be surprised at, you know, how little the turnover is. I think a little messiness is actually beautiful. Mm. Um, I don't want to be part of a static culture. You know, when you're in a culture where everything is just static all the time, um, that's not a place that I want to be in. And I, I think it's good to be also challenged by the people that you're with. I think uh, part of this issue that we're facing, and this is part of why we're so polarized as a culture, is we don't associate with people that we have that we experience difference with. And that's what what's beautiful here is that we're just an ugly, messy collective of people who also share a common interest in in excellence. But politics happen, both both like the the politics that are involved in um, power dynamics within the group, but also politics, you know, from a from like an ideological sense. But I think that that's just what that's, that comes with association that comes with group. You can't escape that. You truly can't find me a group of people who assemble and are stuck with each other who don't encounter conflict. So is there conflict from time to time? Yeah. But I think that at the end of the day, we all love each other. We, we love this sport this is a chosen family man that was a great that was a beautiful i i was wondering where you were going to go with that one ryan because that was a i agree that was a hard idea to follow up in the context and and i couldn't have articulated it better you know like through friction things move forward you learn you know if everything's just so easy then you wouldn't learn anything it's like you know, if you even believe that mistakes are the building blocks of wisdom, then like, then like, you know, people can learn from these, from the mess, Steve, like, isn't that cool? Like, it's a cool, it's a cool paradigm. And just knowing that when you voluntarily sign up for it, like, that's, to me, that that's why it's, it's a simulation. We get to choose to do this. And it's a simulation of this beautiful, perfect, like kind of alternative universe. So it's very, very cool. What do you have to say about that, Steve? I'm curious. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know I appreciate the poetic beauty that both of you have brought here. But I do want to come back and say, mm -hmm. how do you handle mess? Because there are things that are firing offenses. There are things that are beyond the pale. Or you don't have a healthy society. Um, and maybe those are inter maybe those are regulated by de facto by committee within the context of the group itself. But I'm curious how that operates. Now that I'm in a different context than the one I was in before, I know that I am not going to be the one who makes the decision. 
my group makes the decision. But my group went through a very, very challenging situation where many of them were forced to make a hard choice that was not made by committee, not made – I don't want to use the word democratically because democratic the democratic process is a bunch of bullshit anyway, right? But some level of group working – how do you how have you had situations like that or are you thinking forward to how that might happen and how you might have that play out i'm just curious because i do think this is something i just want to get back here because i do think you know me i'm always looking for some utility some pragmatic practical takeaway and for someone who might be starting a run club and it sounds wonderful and great there is this piece of the puzzle that as you stack experience and you stack this love that you're talking about um these it's very hard to cut away the to cut apart those bonds and when you do you you do just you do destroy something something must die and i hear you you're saying yeah that part of that is a process but when i say it in these stark ways i worry for organizations that might not have procedures and processes in play because maybe we could have saved hours in some way um and maybe it was also just you know there's a part of me that is very much a fatist like i have a stoic deep stoic vibe in me that is just fate you know that's just it was meant to be and that is the way the world goes and it is there's no reason to go back but i hear such many parallels of beauty between the rogue organization and we were way bigger and had way deeper depth of experience we had absolute true complete utter beginners and we had world we had we were at the Olympics, right? Rogue was at the Olympics, so that level of of is is highly unusual. And what you're talking about is a as a as a Pacific Northwest beautiful Portland version of something similar. And I know you have at least one core member, a friend of ours, mutual friends of ours, James, who's also been mentioned on this podcast before, who's filtered, who goes between groups, who's a who's a sort of honorary member in whatever way or shape form it is that has. For you. So anyway, I'll just stop there and say, I think this is an important answer, a important question to have answered, even if it's I don't know. But just because I think um, it's my civic duty, it's my duty as a elder, for whatever value that is, being 55 years old, to say, think about these things, because what you have is so beautiful and so amazing. And yes, it's not meant to last forever, but it should last as long as it possibly can. Just like a just like a marriage, right? Like is it meant to last forever? Each individual partner has to decide that for themselves. But there's no doubt that continuing a long-term marriage relationship regardless of the ups and downs is hugely beneficial in some aspects. So I'll just leave that there and say how are you thinking about that? This is something that we struggle with. We have grown uh, over several years. When I joined, there was maybe 30 of us. There's a, a hundred of us now. And along the way, we've heard about, the, I, I, I feel that there is a, a, a push and a pull and a tension that we have to balance. You know, I think we've heard, I've, I've heard directly from legacy members who you know, they, when they joined, the culture was different. I've heard, I've heard over time, you know, the culture is not what I remember it. Some people think that's a good thing. Some people think that's uh, a challenge. Um, so I'm constantly, that, that's my job and, and my, and, and fellow, uh, you know, uh, board members, we have to, we have to navigate that and, and 
try to de uh, determine what direction are we heading? What is our culture? I think what I've learned is that everyone, everyone wants to feel represented and, um, and we need to give people opportunity. We, we have to give people opportunities to um, express their discontent and, um, and, and listen first and foremost. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think that with, uh, with, with conflict, part of it is in Portland, this is a culture where I think we're not, we're not a very direct culture in Portland. So you, so you have to, you have to mean what you say and say what you mean. And when it comes to handling conflict, ambiguity, you can't be ambiguous. Um, you have to, you have to say what the expectation, like we, we have clear expectations for conduct, uh, when people sign up, they, they, they agree to behave in a certain way. Fortunately, we haven't had any major conduct issues, but what Steve, I think you're, you're offering us a cautionary tale, you know, uh, and that, that conflict can can sometimes come up when you where from where you least expect it, and and you can't anticipate uh, what the repercussions will be, but the the way that we handle uh, conflict has uh, has been has, it's evolved, uh, and I, I think we just have to be more like my my style is to be more. Um, direct in terms of communication and 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 i i don't know michael what what do you think <laughs> yeah I, it i really enjoy that y'all have something as practical as like a survey my group doesn't have a survey and i think we could benefit from it i think a code of conduct is is great and um yeah i Steve's got me thinking about that as well and things I could implement in my own group because I, I, I do think that maybe it is easy to overlook the idea that you can preserve something beautiful by kind of putting in some, you know, some safeguards. And, you know, maybe, I, I don't know. I, I'm actually, I'm kind of thinking about it too, Steve, to be to be honest with you, but I... Well, I don't want to Debbie Downer this thing too. So I just wanted that, I, I think that these are, I, I'm just moved by the beauty of what your community has been able to create, Ryan. And so I just want to preserve it for as long as possible. And I will tell you, in my experience, that culture changing is extremely healthy and valuable. For there to be legacy partner members who do not like it is part of life. But when you right, have a rupture, yeah. a place of rupture that that really galvanizes and creates real structure, you will grow through it. Everything everybody does, you will. Your organization will continue. It will go on. Those things just happen. But you want, you want grace and beauty, and as much grace and beauty as can be handled. And just the fact that you said you have a code of conduct, that's that you. That's the answer to the question, right? There's a code of conduct, and then we will have a when that code of conduct gets broken. We're going to come together as a whole group or small portions of groups of some way. You know, you 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 will work that out. Um, what happened with us is we didn't have any 
we didn't have any structures in play. We didn't have any of those things in play. So, um, and also to be what you said, Ryan, to be heard and to yes. like, I, I do think that that is an undervalued aspect. I had to learn it through three years of sitting in outpatient groups to learn how to say what I mean, like articulate what I mean, you know? So what, what will end up happening is maybe, you know, I used to ride bikes with like five guys had this cool name, you know, and I was like, whoa, it's but now that group is like a couple hundred deep and the culture's changed. So I could, you know, so it's, it's even for somebody to me to not be able to articulate like, Hey, I used to really enjoy kind of being able to talk with a few people, whereas I'm kind of getting uncomfortable in super large environments. Well, like, well, maybe if I could express that, then maybe there's some protocols that can be in place. Like, Hey, look, we're going to introduce a new thing called the buddy system. And this week we're going to ride with five people and we're going to keep it in the five group silos and stuff like that. So even, even your, your example and being able to articulate the message, I think that's a very human thing to struggle with. And I think that, um, I think that as a value, if you place it in kind of like the value system, just one of the things it sounds like, um, saying what you mean and speaking up and kind of being involved in the process is is a, is a big deal. So I think I'm going to do some stuff like that in my group, Steve. I haven't <laughs> gone over your um, your website very deeply, Ryan. But do you have like core values that you have stated and placed on your on your site that you have, or something like that? Like, but when I started Telos, that's something that was really important to me. Was I stated my core values to be sure that anybody that joined the group had read them and just said. Yeah, these are things I also value, and if I no longer value them, they might have more challenges within the group. And they're nothing; they're nothing. They are not um, ethical, right? They're just much more around. I mean, when you what the race requires, um, running is magic. Um, you know, these the kinds of things that definitely somebody's like, yeah, those are my people. And when people read them and they're not, they don't join our group. Like they just go the other way and say, yeah, I'm not interested in that at all, right? Those are very helpful too sometimes for people who might be thinking about starting a community is just clearly articulating the vibe you have. So it's like, like if, for instance, this this book club I'm just starting up that I'm just starting with, you know, I'm like, I'm hoping it'll be this giant umbrella that many, many people can participate in. But my particular book club, we're just going to do one thing. We're going to read books and those books are not running related. And then we're going to take a running learning from the book. Right. And that's it. I'm not doing anything else. And if not any, you want anything else, go join another book club or do something else different because it's really helpful to create those parameters. Yeah, we have a code of conduct that's very um, that that lays out very clearly what the expectations are. You know, mm. we 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 lay out what each teammate is committed to mm. and what we will not tolerate. Mm. So what we what we are committed to is respect, encouragement, support, and recognizing our humanity and building community and having fun. But we, you know, what we don't tolerate is unsportsmanlike conduct, and you know, any be anything that endangers the health, or, you know, safety, well-being of others, teammates, verbal or physical threats, and you know, it's it's very very clear, you know, what the guidelines are. But you know, what I I I think that the challenge sometimes is recognizing unsportsmanlike conduct <laughs> and that can be subjective can't it oh, uh, yeah. so i you know and i i mean what's pretty remarkable is that we haven't 
we haven't had a ton of instances where people actually misbehave, but you have to be ready to have those conversations when they happen. Yeah, my bro crew, when we were running in college, we could de-pants each other. You can't de-pants each other at this day and age, right? (laughs) For example, like there are some places where de-pantsing, even in 2024 with a group of guys or a group of girls together, is a totally appropriate thing of jiving and messing with and, and, and sort of there's these subtle ways that we need to um, run the traps on people's ability to have a sense of humor and be able to deal with things and those things. But that's not good in mixed company because that's some people are not going to be safe in those kinds of situations. So, yeah, it's slippery and challenging and what's okay and what's not okay. And if I do de-pants somebody in a running environment and they're deeply offended, then I need to come back and make sure that I do something appropriate. I, I make restitution in some way that allows for them to stay safe or to recognize, hey, I did I, that was a violation of those rules and I won't do it again. We won't accept anybody else to do it. But as you said, until you see it, how do you know it? But when you know it, when you see it, you do know it, right? Like, because that situation of de-pantsing somebody is not a problem in some crews, and it's a big problem in other crews, and that's okay. Like, I, th- those are the things I think, I'm, of course, this is not a something that would make somebody not, I mean, but somebody might leave your group, but it wouldn't be a cultural, a huge cultural shift necessarily, right? Um, it could be. I mean, these little, little, little tiny things do have a big impact depending on the person and the people and the place. I mean, if you have two same two people of same sex, that doesn't mean they have different sexual orientations. So that depends. could be a completely inappropriate thing in different places, right? So I'm just saying that because you guys have smiles on your faces because that's like a totally, quote unquote, innocuous situation that we know deep in our hearts is absolutely not innocuous not innocuous like it is that is a can be a very big problem but in one crew it's absolutely not a problem and more like championed but in another one it's not and i just think people need to think about these things in communities as somebody who has been part of and instrumental in multiple relatively large meaningful communities and seen the beauty of the chaos but also the the deep heartbreak of someone being put on an island and felt made to feel different or alone in a way that breaks our hearts and um yeah i mean that's it's just but again like you said you 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 nailed this when i brought it up at the first you're just like isn't this what it means to be human and to be in groups and the answer is yes and i think that's a great place for us to i mean i'd love to continue if we want to continue we can that's a great place to wrap it up initially just at least this piece just to say from my perspective this is why the loneliness epidemic is happening because people aren't willing to be messy with each other like and once you get in a group the mess will happen and the mess is where the real stuff happens right and it's the it's it's the compost right it's the it's the compost is usually things dying usually things falling apart usually things not going entirely well and they can stink and smell and not be great but that's where most of the good life comes from and we know this as athletes because we expect that voluntary suffering aspect to be the key component to the with rest and recovery then it produces the result we're hoping to achieve and to get and you know we michael and i have discussed at length the challenges around that that people will not recognize the risks people will not recognize that they need to take the rest i mean we have entire episodes on these kinds of topics but i just really appreciate this opportunity to have a conversation with you around someone who has a like mind and yet a different perspective and holding a line in a place that 
you believe needs holding. And I think Michael and I both stand with you in a way to say, we hold that ground. I, I will consider myself from now and forever an honorary member of your track club, assuming that I ab ab abide by your standards and your expectations, right? But I do that because of your presence and then reading your social. The other thing I just want to say is your social media presence is fantastic. You guys do an incredibly good job of really representing your club um, and the ups and downs, the challenges, the goods, the bads. There's, it's not, no, not a lot of bads in there, but you sense real people living real lives in your social media account. And the Instagram one, that I, that's where I see you is on Instagram. And I know you're instrumental in that. I just want to give you a round of applause for, for that ongoing project, but also the courage to stand and lead. And it's hard to be a leader. Uh, Michael and I both know this. Like, mm -hmm. whether you're a leader by choice or you're a leader by de facto leader, um, once you're in that role, you have to be responsible and lead. And I just want you to know you have two friends, two brothers. If you ever need help, if you're ever, ever challenged, and you ever need insight, that I offer my – what little I have to offer, I would offer as just saying – um, there's somebody else who wants you to succeed and wants your club to succeed and wants these kinds of clubs to succeed across the world in a way that maybe we can l bring a level of general happiness. As they say, all, when the water rises, all boats rise. It, that's like that's what's going on here and just want to champion you for your endeavors in that area. I do feel that this meeting is, is there's some serendipity behind it. I do feel that we we're we're just beginning to scratch the surface of some some ideas that we all collectively share and my call to action is just for people to seek seek community and and not always with the the same same old suspects you know seek seek community with people who challenge you and scare you people who you disagree with people who get you outside of your echo chamber um you know I, I i think that our first instinct is to gravitate towards what's most comfortable and so much of this sport is seeking out the discomfort you have to intentionally lean into discomfort in order to grow and that's not just in the practice of the movement but it's also in that the daily decision to seek out people who who help you grow i mean how often do we just latch on to the people who tell us what we want to hear sometimes we have to reach out and find people who tell us the truth which is what we don't want to hear <laughs> yeah. you know and and i i kind of I, I just like being around uh, people who I, I think I think that the that the reason why we're so polarized today is because we don't we we just seek out what we want to hear. Hmm. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. Steve and I had 
conversation <laughs> last week about that, and I think that you articulated it out of a out of the void. And it was like, yeah, I, th- I think seeking different opinions, different perspectives, is is a part of the work, and 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 learning how to understand those is, is a part of the work. And it's not always easy. I think we do gravitate. I agree. I think we gravitate towards what's comfortable, and I think that. Um, I think that that's a really great mission for a run club, man. I I, I don't I can't even imagine a, a better mission. So so what I hope is that my group, your group, Steve's group continues to do what we can to create an open community, but also not just to end there is to go out and seek new communities. You, you know, I, I, I think that I think that we're probably all due to try and continue to be as proactive as, you know, not out of our or we have to step out of our comfort zone. It, and and I do think that that's where the work happens. And I know it's easy to articulate, but it's definitely not easy to do. I mean, I need to do this on so many different aspects of my life, man. Like there are things with personal work, social, um, ideology, you know, all the political stuff. Like there's so many ways that I'm, I real, how much work I have to do to try and, uh, it's like that Stephen Covey thing, which is like the seven habits, like seek first to understand, not to be understood, you know, and I've got a long way to go to understand, you know, a lot of different things in my life. So, um, for a run club to do that is is about is it's about as great of a mission as I can I can I can imagine. So um, yeah, that's how I feel about it. I think it. But I think we're cut from the same cloth, and I think we're driven by the same kind of um, motivations to grow and to understand what like what's the meaning behind this all and. It is not superficial. It can become superficial. And it's easy to kind of snap back into superficiality sometimes. But I, I think that it's a constant reminder that we have, like my wife says, you choose to be positive. And it's not always through positivity, you know? You don't just wake up and decide. You wake up and decide that you're going to be positive today. Even if you're, even if you're feeling under the pressure, under the pressure cooker, but what you practice, you become. If you if you wake up and you take three deep breaths every day, you know you'll you, you kind of understand. You ground yourself. You you, you present yourself in, into a, like eventually. I think that that does have um, true true change. And I mean, we just have to practice it. We just got to continue to do that. Steve, I, I'm sorry to continue the conversation just a little bit beyond. <laughs> we we uh, could go as long as you want to, brother. Our <laughs> listeners are with us. Our listeners are with us. And if they're not, then they, carry on, brother. Just carry on. <laughs> I, As you talk, Michael, I think about what happens to get people to attract practice. Every day, you have to wake up and rain or shine you know the the sky can be you know it it can be pouring cats and dogs it could be dark it can be cold and wet early you have to get out of the comfort of your own bed and you have to say to yourself i'm going to make a decision today 
to drive myself to wherever the meeting place is and 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 show up to this uh, at this appointed time and space and be with these people and that's not nothing it takes energy to to show up and be keyword be with people Mm -hmm. and i mean a group you know for for me it's like you don't have an aa group if you don't show up you know what i mean like it's everything always starts you it's a commitment like you have you have to make that decision to just like get out and go and then and experience and learn it's um yeah sorry to interrupt you brian just keep keep going on that one for sure well it's a it's a you're deciding uh to um you, you know like kind of how you said you're you're deciding to be joyful you know you're deciding to be with these people um and it's not like you just get mag- magically plucked uh into this spot uh something is pulling you mm-hmm. you know to 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 this uh community um so i I think it, that's why we call it chosen family, you know, um, you, and it, there's something, um, there's just something magical in the vol- voluntary aspect. You know, I think voluntary is a word that we use to, um, to say, Oh, we don't take this seriously, but, but you're going, so you're, when you're doing something on your own volition, that I think that that's the, that's the ultimate um, expression of meaning because, it, because you don't, nobody is telling you, you have to be here. And, and so, so nobody is telling you that you have to deal with the messiness, you know, and, and, and most of it's not always messy. Oh no. Mm-hmm. But, you know, through the good and the bad, something is pulling you to these people and, and, that's pretty magical to me. Yeah, the, something I've been taking very seriously recently is the ways in which running could potentially be a spiritual practice or could be sacred. Um, and I'm not going to go into the worldview part of it, just to say that what you're describing to me, whether no matter what cloth you're cut from, whether you're agnostic, atheist, uh, strong, committed in some path of of Um, some religious path what you're describing right there is the thing that I think why I think we need to be really pulling at the threads or why I feel like my late life process I mean I don't think I'm passing anytime soon but in my high I'm at the highest peak of creativity in my life right now and the area I keep getting pulled back to is running as a spiritual practice as a movement practice import is the first place to say it from that's why i start there but then to move it into a place that each person can then wrestle with their own version of their angel whatever that angel is but it is a wrestling match and it is a choice right and i do think that choice aspect is really critical and crucial because so much of what we think about from a spiritual process when people talk about it that way it gets triggered into old patterns, like patterns that we um, we don't need new ways to talk about the old ways. We just need to 
lean in to the parts of the old ways that work for us. And what you're describing is an old way that works for us. Where more than two of you are gathered in my name, I am there. And why can't God be running? Just, and I'm not saying at a metaphysically high level, just at this just momentary space. This is where the Christians come with so beauty in their, in their trinity. They have this idea of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is this thing that I know we know. That's what you're saying. It's not always messy. Because sometimes there's this frizzing, there's this, there's this spark of fire, which is literally the way the early Christians described the Holy Spirit was tongues of fire dancing on the heads. And I do know, like, this is an experience I have almost exclusively in a running community, personally, because I'm no longer a part of a church community. So if, if we need it, then let's lean into it. And then let's create the kinds of languaging that allow people to either pull this into their own spiritual practice, whatever that is, or pull it into a way that becomes their meaning so that we can take it from loneliness out of happiness because happiness is so transitory. There's no depth to happiness. We know this. We know this from cognitive science. There's, no, there's, there's a deep, deep level of loneliness. There's something really going on there. But happiness, it's very, very hard to track. It is moving very quickly. It has, it's, it's, that's what's the challenge. That's a huge challenge. So maybe that's why I lean this direction, probably because I have a God-shaped void within me and I've had it since I was... 14 years old, right? Because of what's happened to me in my life. But I do think what you're bringing forward for me here in a really beautiful way, Ryan, something I hadn't really anticipated, again, synchronistically lining on top of another conversation I had recently, is that in so many ways, what it means to be human is to be in relationship. And that by itself could be the, 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 the prime necessity for what we might call sacred or spiritual, right? That just the recognition of our relationality puts us in a different state that you might call a religious experience. And again, I describe that as with the weather, with your uh, the ground. There's a lot of ways that we can think about this, right? But what you're describing with the community is something that is so universally accepted across spiritual practices. Every, almost, every, at some point in time, someone goes off up to a mountain and does this thing all by themselves and they come back down to do what? To share it with their people. So the sharing with the people is the, the, the place where all the real shit happens. And what you're leaning in here is saying, let's, let's keep doing this. Let's keep making these, me, these, these meaningful connections with human to human and then in, recognize our more than human contexts that flow out from here. And maybe depending on the level of interest in the group, um, those can be found through a nature religion or they could be found through the, the, the tight push of competitive experience. The competitive experience is one of the just deepest, most meaningful places where only two people can get, you know, on an Olympic trials we're having this weekend, only three people will, will get through this gap. And really, really amazing human beings are going to be left to the side who have spent their entire last four years of their life in single-minded, completely, utterly total fixation on this one two hour and 10 to two hour and 20 minute window of time. And, and then it's poof, 
gone. And that to me is sacred. Like there's a, there's a, we hold it as sacred, even if it is entertainment, we're watching it. We're, we're, we're going to be sitting in groups of people. Your group is meeting as a group of people. My group I know is meeting on Saturday morning as a group of people to engage and experience the pinnacle of who it is that we're gonna be putting the USA on. And you know, I'm not definitely not a flag waving, you know, pro USA all the way kind of guy, but I do know what it would mean and how badly I wanted to wear. I mean, I got the chance to wear the USA one time and I will tell you, it's one of the great, it's the only singlet I've ever saved. Didn't save my UT singlet, didn't save my pro singlets. I saved one singlet, the USA singlet, that's it. So is that sacred? I argue, I would say that most people who operate in those spaces are recognizing that what used to be, the old ways are still playing in in new ways. We're just calling them by new names. They're just, the, but it's the same shit. <laughs> so, um, and I just thank you for your commitment to the conversation. And I just want to uh, uh, provoke one extra little thing, which is let's come back in six months and let's see like where this conversation has led the three of us. Um, we'll all three get some kinds of pings in our networks around the utility, the ridiculousness, the um, things, you know? And then and then also maybe to traipse it through, pull it back through to a, a, a show note, I'll put in the show notes. Michael and I talked about 10,000 miles in the summer and maybe what we can do is is think through this conversation we've just had, then maybe go back and let's re-listen to that one because I know Ryan, you immediately pinged and said, "I'm in. We're in. If you if you want something like this, we're in." And Michael and I have been busy doing other things that we didn't pick that ball up and run with it. But our conversation, this we we prepped our conversation with you, thinking we were going to record an episode, and then we talked. Actually, we argued and talked and argued and talked. We had a very, we had a deeply meaningful conversation in preparation for our conversation today, which we recognize now that maybe we have a responsibility that we didn't yeah. recognize in a way. And, and so maybe we can bring this back around and say, all right, how did that all sit? What kind of intel did we get from our lo local communities, our spaces? And is there something we want to do? Is there any, is there any steps we can take? So if you're in, down for that, we, I think we would love to have you again. And we can just, if, if you're down, it sounds like you might be down for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally in. Awesome. I want to see where this experiment takes us. And I think that when we intended to, uh, when we set the intention for speaking today, I didn't anticipate what we would wrestle with during this discussion. I think we, we had to grapple with a few things. Um, we had to grapple, I had to grapple with my idealism, but I, I do think that there is beauty in the, 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 the messiness. I've, I've said it a few times after all, you know, this is just a, this is a dance that we are all doing and we're all doing it in our local communities. And when we're in motion together, we're connecting and exchanging. And there's, and while we're doing it, we're not making eye contact. And something happens when you're 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 side by side. And I think that that's what we're trying to capture. And I, I want to see. Uh, how the, these thoughts evolve over the next six months.
Agreed. Yeah, I'm in too. Uh, I'd love to. I'd love to come back and and do a follow up on in about six months. I used to have a mentor that used to say, "That's that's nice, Mike. What does that look like?" And it's like I think I have some tangible <laughs> ideas about about how, what what I would like to kind of do, and uh, it'd be fun to come come reshare. Like, what exactly does does some of the claims 10,000 claims like look like like what is it what does it actually look like not just not just an idea you know maybe maybe the Atreyu run club becomes an autonomous thing that is a way for maybe you drop the Atreyu name who knows (laughs) maybe you maybe you maybe you open up the aperture a little bit so I'm kind of like what does it look like well for us it started with um, like, like y'all have Ryan, like a code of conduct. I, you know, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reporting on how we can come up with some type of, uh, it'd be fun to see where we all meet in the middle, you know, three different style groups, size groups, intention, you know, goal, goal, varying goal intention groups and, and, but all kind of synchronizing under the idea that like, Hey, this is a big idea to, for running to combat loneliness and, getting it in touch with the community um it'd be fun to really see how that synchronizes and comes to fruition with three different three different silos maybe mm-hmm. we can come together and create a, a well-connected picture and, and for our hives. listeners go no so go ahead yeah. go ahead what'd you say ryan I'm hives listening. is a better hives. word yeah yeah three separate hives yeah it's good yeah. um and also to our listeners we we don't often get people to reply um in from their experience, but I have a feeling that this particular episode will trigger um, a little more interest. And I'm gonna again, in my typical system fashion, provoke and say, if this has hit you in a way, and you're in another community, and you want to be a part of some kind of conversation that links up and goes, just shoot me an email, and I will make sure that Ryan and Michael are included in that, and that we continue to get voices around this idea. Um, and in my intro, I will have introduced the 10,000 miles because I didn't know if it would come into this conversation, but it now has ended there. So I'll use that as a way to introduce this and just, again, provoke and ask, again, this podcast seems to be doing things that Michael and I had no idea it was going to do and going in directions we had no idea it was going to go in. Um, well, I have to admit, I have... I just knew if I met with Michael consistently, magic would happen. Um, but that, but I do think that it's time for people to find this podcast if they need to find it. And the way they find it is by you just going on and hitting a little button on your computer or leaving a note about it. Again, we get no money for this. I feel so stupid when I say it because I hear this with other podcasts I listen to. But now that I've been really actively doing this i now have made reviews and likes on every one of the podcasts that i listen to more than once a month because i feel like i as a podcaster i can just tell you if you don't podcast you have no idea how important it is for other people to find your words because there's nothing we're getting from this other than the interaction just like this conversation that ryan and michael and i are having we had no idea like but it does do things and just just please do that. We don't care if we don't get any more listeners, except that we want them to hear these words. So, and we think it's useful and valuable. Um, and so, anybody, any last words from you, Ryan? Anything you want to just toss out there at the end of this conversation? 
I'm pretty, um, pretty speechless. You know, I, I think that I just want people to recognize that they are not just putting one foot in front of the other. It's much more than that. This is a ritual. And whether you do it alone or if you do it with others, um, you're, you're doing something ancient that has been with you all along. And I think that's where I'll leave it. Cool. Well, thank you again, Michael and Ryan. We'll, we'll come back again in a couple of months. And listeners, Godspeed. Godspeed. <laughs>